Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Has the coronavirus pandemic caused you to really wonder about how to manage stress, anxiety, and even chronic pain in your life? Well, it's certainly affected a lot of folks in many interesting ways. And today we're going to be talking with psychologist, author, and all-around Really amazing, helpful provider, Dr. Daniel Lev of the Comfort Clinic. He's been on our show several times, and I'm excited to have him back. We're going to be talking a little bit about what are some ways to use some of the same principles of the Comfort Clinic that helps people who experience serious chronic pain for all of us in any area that we might be struggling despite all of the difficulties that uh, that we've all tried to overcome There's a lot of us still trying to figure out our way in this new paradigm of what's going on out there. And so, Dr. Lev, I thank you for joining me again here on The Body Show. Oh, it's my pleasure as always. Now, since the last time we've spoken, you have had a whole entire telemedicine transformation. Uh, That's been an interesting way that a lot of us have been providing care these days. How has that gone for you? Pretty well? Well, again, for people that do psychology work, um, uh, mostly what we're doing is talking. We don't need to touch a person. So I find it's really it's amazing, and I might change my whole way of doing work, that seeing somebody on a screen is just like being with them. I can even do hypnosis and relaxation practices with someone. It works just fine. So the only downside is looking at a screen for hours. So that I have to kind of figure out. But but it's been working pretty well. My clients seem to be okay with it. I often wonder if it doesn't make things much more accessible when you think about the fact that there are certain areas, even here in the islands, that have provider shortages. If we're able to allow telemedicine to help close some of those gaps, then then there really is no limit. Someone doesn't have to physically go to a location to see you, and yet they still may receive absolutely excellent service. And it's more convenient for both them and Probably for you too. Oh, for sure. And again, to again um, underline this: when I'm talking with someone on a screen, we forget we're on a screen, you know, unless we're having tech problems. So we really are together. We're working together. It's really terrific. And yeah, uh, especially for my chronic pain clients, uh, often it's hard to leave the house if you get to an office. So here, I, I basically am really busy because most people are showing up. <laughs> Well, that's another thing. It's really hard to not show up for a phone visit or a video visit because, you know, you usually have your phone. So that's another element that's sort of unique to your practice is a lot of the clients that you work with do have chronic pain, which leads to some potential mobility issues. And this allows you to provide your services in a way that is easy. And, you know, the comfort clinic takes on a whole new meaning. Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, and ever since I wrote the book, you know, I've been getting it out into the community, and and people uh, are kind of seeking me out for that. But also people with other difficulties, too, because as we'll probably talk later, a lot of the skills that I do with people are useful for depression, anxiety, all kinds of problems. Uh, So, um, yeah, I've been busy. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the book and some of the principles of it, because that lends itself to the idea of helping to reframe things to not necessarily what's always cause going wrong or causing pain, but what might be going right. So uh, 
walk us through some of the basic principles. I realize, take your 300-page book and describe it in five sentences. It's a bit of a challenge, but tell us some of the basics, because that really is a, a unique platform that you've established that I think sets apart some of the approaches that you take with your clients that may not be the same approach that other folks may do. So walk us through that a little bit. Definitely. First of all, for those of you who don't know, it's called You Are Bigger Than the Pain. You're bigger than the pain, meaning there's more to a person's life than just the difficulty they're dealing with. But it's so easy to get overwhelmed by it. Um, Simply put, um, when I work with people, I certainly want to know what the difficulty is. But at a certain point, I find it's more powerful um, and empowering for the person to start um, noticing ways that they can increase what they want to have happen, like in the case of chronic pain, to increase their comfort. Even if the pain's there, you can get more comfortable around it. So at least physiologically, and I won't go through all this, that, but simply put, uh, the nervous system uh, gets highly sensitized to pain. And if you can do certain things to calm that, that it increases a sense of comfort so people tolerate the difficulty better. And I will work with people on not just looking at the problem, but starting to notice, especially as they start using the skills or we start working together, people will start noticing some little changes happening. So, for example, I'll ask a question, what have you been noticing lately, large or small, that you want to see happen more? Now, most people, you know, will talk to me about the things they want to see happen less, but focusing on it. And even that is useful. Well, have you noticed that? reducing slightly or that you've been able to be a little more active and people will start noticing things and um, it's a very fruitful kind of question what's going well even a little bit it kind of makes me think of yeah if people say central core Mm -hmm. sure if people say you know count all the red cars out there you know you normally wouldn't pay attention but now it seems like they're everywhere every car is red you know so when when we prime ourselves to think about either a positive, what do you want to see more of? It certainly can help us to direct our attention to what we're trying to look for that's that's beneficial or that's giving us joy that day. And again, it's similar to how many times have I gotten up and gotten in traffic and said, I can't believe it, they're trying to cut in front of me again. And it seems like every car is trying to cut in front. You know, when you set yourself to say, I'm going to hit every red light, why is it you always do, you know? So setting yourself up to kind of refocus your attention can really help. Now, how does that work with somebody who's experiencing chronic pain? Well, uh, very, very powerfully. Um, if the person's willing to, to work with me on this, um, and sometimes it's hard. You can't notice anything that you want to see happen more because the critical uh, part of that question is not what do you want to see happen uh, well, but what's already happening. And often, you know, when we have pain or depression or whatever's going on, it kind of blocks our ability to see what is going well. And if we focus on what isn't going well, it brings us down more. But as you start focusing, not some namby-pamby positive thinking, but seeing what is actually happening, uh, it's, it's amazing. I just saw a woman today who had problems controlling her mood. She's starting to control her mood a little more, and she was very happy about that. And so, you know, often people don't notice that right away unless somebody asks. Well, and that's another thing we send. We tend to the human natural protective mechanism is look for disaster and avoid that. 
And so right. I think that's sort of why we tend to say what's what could potentially be the worst thing that could happen from X, Y, or Z so that we can in advance somehow protect ourselves from or prepare ourselves for those potential outcomes. And so if we look at it from more of a what are some of the positive ways that we could if we could reframe what's going on in our lives or refocus our attention that sometimes can really help people to say, you know, I still have my chronic back pain, but today my foot didn't hurt when I stood up out of bed. So kind of putting yourself in that position of what's going well that you want to see more of and then turning it to the present, what's going on right now. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Daniel Lev of the Comfort Clinic, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about how to use some of these same techniques towards other areas in our lives that maybe would help all of us, regardless of what we're going through. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, the Kahala Hotel and Resort, and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have the joy of having Dr. Daniel Lev on the line. He is the founder of The Comfort Clinic and the author of a book, You Are Bigger Than the Pain. And right before the break, we were talking about trying to find positive things that are happening right now. So you mentioned that you spoke to a woman today who noticed that her mood was more elevated than it usually is. What's the next step when somebody expresses that to help them realize their role in getting there? Well, before, let me just say that even though I'm asking this question, I'm not ignoring the fact that there is suffering, that there is pain. And I work with people around uh, noticing it and finding ways to increase their comfort around it. So just, just wanted to underscore that. It's not just looking for what's well, but also helping them with what isn't well. But regarding this woman, um, you know, um, she would lose her temper a lot and get triggered by things. Uh, that uh, uh, a family member would say. And so she's, uh, uh, when, when she told me this, I asked her, okay, this is great. You've been able to do that. How have you been able to do that? And so then we look at if she's aware. Sometimes we're not aware of how we're able to calm that thing. For her, it was she started noticing, oh, wait a minute. And she, she did something, I, I call it just taking a step back. Take a step back without overreacting. So her brother said something, which usually would press her buttons, and she took a step back mentally and, said, and took a breath and looked at it and said, wait a minute, okay? Same thing as if um, she gets a negative thought in her head, oh, that SOB, he's doing this and that, and she took a step back from that and said, wait a minute, look at that thought. That thought usually gets me really mad. Do I want to follow that thought? And so, or feeling, you know, and so uh, this is a little bit about how uh, we can start to notice our own natural abilities to get back in control of our lives if a problem is there. Well, I think it really underscores the idea that oftentimes we may not even give ourselves the credit for getting from point A to point B. And once we get there, looking back and realizing how far we've come helps us to consider that the road to get from B to C may not be as far as you think. No, not at all. Uh, that's why when I, when I ask a person, what have you noticed? Even if they notice, you know, a person who has trouble sleeping and they say, Tuesday, I slept two more minutes, that's good. 
because noticing it, it starts to grow. Uh, and over time, she started noticing, oh, I, I, had, I had a good night that, that night. And it, it grew and grew. You know, she used various skills that I'd show her or that she would create. Uh, so often, even though I'm not going to say I don't provide anything, but often people have the solution. They're just not noticing they've got it. Well, and it sounds like you helped to direct them and their thought process to understanding what they just need to uncover. Yeah, using other parts of their brain instead of just the, the amygdala that's looking for, oh, my God, what's the danger? You know, uh, other parts uh, of our brain can help us to actually see things more clearly and then make better choices. So now that seems to be a wonderful proven formula in your practice in dealing with folks who have chronic pain. There's also a lot of other issues that people might experience. Can some of these same techniques help somebody who's dealing with a lot of anxiety? Well, you know what's interesting is a lot of the, the skills, I didn't make all these skills up, but I'm just recasting them for comfort. But uh, a lot of these skills help with anxiety, depression, difficult relationships, bad habits, all kinds of things. And why I have this all in a book for people, you know, initially for chronic pain is because all of these things impact chronic pain. So if you could raise your mood out of depression, you will feel less pain or you will feel more comfortable around it. If you can increase your calm, then the anxiety doesn't pump up your nervous system to be hypersensitive to chronic pain. So it, it's all there. Like I like to tell my colleagues, all I'm doing is just general psychology. I'm helping people with, with a variety of problems, but these problems impact their physical condition, you know, through the stress process. So uh, absolutely with anxiety, uh, you know, these are very useful. For example, using meditation, hypnosis, other kinds of relaxation practices. We're starting to notice these thoughts and start to label them, you know, so that they don't, uh, you know, basically you catch them before they catch you. Now, you mentioned that some of the physical manifestations for some people may be that they're all impacting chronic pain, which could have a variety of different sources in addition to having some of the psychological overlay. What are some other physical manifestations? Are there other ways that, for example, someone who's depressed or has anxiety, they may not have pain, but what other sort of uh, symptoms might they have that, they may not realize could be affected by their mood or by some of the things that they're focusing their attention on. Well, definitely with anxiety. I had a, one client uh, dealing with more post-traumatic stress level of anxiety, and she got a heart attack. Now, that's extreme, but, you know, if you're getting, you know, with anxiety and even, you know, with, with depression to some degree, you're getting stress day after day after day. It creates stress-related conditions, high blood pressure, uh, if you have also a condition of diabetes, it makes diabetes worse. Various things, or certain people who are uh, depressed will do comfort eating, and they'll get overweight, and that could be bad for their physical health. There's many problems um, in the physical world that are created by some of our psychological uh, distress. And as you said, could be worsened by it. You know, you mentioned diabetes, and when people are under chronic stress, their catecholamines, their stress hormones, their cortisol, that tends to be hyperactivated. And as a result, they may have a heightened response to things that are going on in their environment, 
And therefore, it leads to chronic high sugars and it leads to some of these other physical issues that could be, you know, either impacted directly by how they feel or or caused by how they feel. In certain cases, you mentioned about the poor individual you talked about who had a heart attack. A few years ago, there was a description of what's called, quote, broken heart syndrome, Takasubo's cardiomyopathy. And essentially, it's a serious issue where the heart doesn't function because it's under such stress. But you go in there and you look to see if there's any blockages and there aren't any. It's clear. You know, and you go, what could have possibly manifested this? And very often it's tied to extreme amounts of stress, which could be related to anxiety or depression or some other uh, psychological component that the best way to treat that person for their cardiac situation is to concurrently integrate the therapy for what's going on in their life as well. Well, precisely. And also people that engage in behaviors that will increase their stress, like overworking, or if they're in a, a difficult marital or other kind of relationships where there's a lot of arguing, uh, it can drive you to drink, which is definitely going to impact your body. People will drink because they're trying to medicate themselves against the distress that they're feeling. So most definitely uh, it will have an impact it often. You know, some, some of the people I work with, that's part of the problem. And so we work on how to lower the stress, which lowers the psychological problems or the physical manifestations, all of that, it helps greatly. Now, with the concept of stress, I think there's also just the external forces. So when you see folks who, you know, might be dealing with financial pressures or unemployment issues or some issues that affect their their well-being in ways that they can't control, does that make it a little harder for them to refocus in some ways? It's a challenge, and to bring up COVID and the stress that it, it, it causes the people I see and just all of us, um, it's hard to adjust. But as you start to find ways to get back to life, okay, because even my chronic pain clients, you can do many things you used to do. You just need to do it differently. So my wife and I are having dinner parties online, so we're not feeling isolated. And we can talk with people. We've got four or five people on screen. We're all showing each other the food we made. You know, you find alternate ways to, to overcome the stress caused by this pandemic and the things that it brings about. And unemployment, you know, there's things you can do to help cope with that. And uh, so absolutely, very important. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show, and I'm joined by Dr. Daniel Lev. He is a psychologist, author, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the unique ways that this pandemic has resulted in people trying brand new things, like I love the idea of the virtual dinner party. We'll talk about that again. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Daniel Lev on the line, and we are talking today about what are some ways to employ the very same techniques that might be useful in treating people with chronic pain to refocus their idea on what's going right in life, what are some areas that give them comfort and or physical well-being, and how to use those same principles for some of us who might be dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, or other, other external forces that are affecting us physically during this time of coronavirus. Now, I have to ask, 
because you mentioned it right before the break, Dr. Lev, you said a virtual dinner party. That's I found that the connection that we have with people, particularly those that we know in person, trying to do that same connection over video is not exactly the same, but tends to be something much better than not keeping up with them at all. So uh, how does your virtual dinner party lead to some uh, good interactions and keep you feeling socially engaged? Let me tell you, it, it has to do on the core with starting to rethink life a little bit. Right now, what do I want and how can I get some of that? Even though I, it, it's not safe for me to be in the same room with people. What can I do? And so getting creative. So this idea of a virtual dinner party, I mean, so, you know, I'm Jewish, I'm a rabbi, and we had a Passover Seder. Okay? Usually uh, the year before, we had 18 people at our house. All right? So we had maybe about the same number of people online, and we did an online, and this is like a ritual dinner. And it was fun, and we sang songs and all kinds of things. But you have to think out of the box and make it okay. That's the hard part. Oh, my God, I'm going to look at people on a screen. It's going to be terrible. Not if you talk with them. And you can have a conversation. You work with the technology, and you can actually keep that social contact, which we need to, to save our mental health. If I didn't have my wife here, I'd be climbing the walls. I'd be wanting to be on your show every week just so I could talk to somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to because we would enjoy talking to you too. But I do see that. In fact, I kind of wish that social distancing was renamed as physical distancing because, you know, people still need the social interaction. And even though it's not optimal, you can't necessarily have everyone hug one another or be in the same room, there are some safe ways if we just get creative on how we can make it work out for ourselves because that's definitely a necessity. I think that interaction is is key. Totally. Actually, for a little while, we even had people over. And the way we did it was they came straight onto our lanai, sat about eight feet away. We had tables set up, okay, and we would have dinner and talk. And here we are outside, um, pretty safe, and um, sometimes we wear, we wear masks in between eating. And so far, I haven't gotten COVID, thank God. But, um, you know, even that, which is a little edgy, is still a way to keep contact. Uh, but you can do it on screen. You can definitely exercise as many things we can do within the limits of, of um, the, the need to be protected. I found one of the exciting things is I've had the opportunity to go to conferences that I normally would not have been able to attend because to go for three hours to a conference, I couldn't physically fly six hours to get there and then come home and still be able to make that work out. But now that everybody's doing things online, it seems like attending some of these events is actually easier and that's another way to sort of look at what are some of the positive outcomes that have happened. And, you know, before I remember being in meetings where one person was on the phone and everybody forgot that they were there because there was only one person there. But now everybody's on the phone or using a video mm -hmm. platform or some other tool. And it's really helped to engage people in a different way. Family gatherings. This is awesome. Even if you have like 30 people in the family, you can all be together for a little while. And then you can go into these little rooms that you okay. can say, okay, and you know all what else the young you can people do? are going to hang out together, all the older people hang out together. And for a period of time, then maybe you have eight, ten people uh, on the screen, and you have interactions. So there's creative ways 
to keep your social contact. This is also a time, by the way, uh, if you have time, if people have, you know, if they're not employed or even if they are employed, but they have some time to think about what do I want to do with my time? So this same young woman I told you about uh, who had a difficulty with, with some of her mood, <clears throat> she figured, I'm going back to school. And she's working on a, you know, a, a graduate degree online. And this has given her new purpose and, and, and hope and, and helped her further find more calm in her life. Well, and that whole, I think education is going to transform, particularly at the graduate level, because because a lot of, and even at the undergraduate level, I think a lot of folks who have accessibility to computers, who maybe did not necessarily feel as though they had access to higher levels of education, will now have that availability. It's funny, you mentioned having family get-togethers, and I thought, the one thing you can do with that is the one thing you've always wanted to do but never could, and that's called the mute button which can work really well for certain circumstances. But I would not suggest it for education, I'll tell you that. It certainly does. And speaking of education, I teach uh, a graduate psychology class at Chaminade University, and it's online, and it works fine. You know, Students aren't as happy with it because it is more fun to be in a room. However, you can still make it work, and, and people can still have time to ask questions, to discuss, and to do, you know, at the same time I'm doing a PowerPoint. So all of these things have been adapted in ways so that we don't go nuts. So you don't have to come see me all the time. You start thinking out of the box. What are some creative things I can do now with this time I may have? Now I know with me, I'm not commuting. I've got more time. So I'm doing more, you know, reading in areas that I'm interested in. But people can discover these things. So... Project forward maybe a year from now. What do you think we'll keep, and what do you think we won't? Oh, wow, that's quite a question. Um, of course I saved I it for last. On a certain level, let's say you're talking about uh, when there's a vaccine and people can actually go out and do things? Yep. Okay, so uh, once the plague is over, um, I think to some degree people will go back to life because they're already – clamoring to do it. You see a lot of people on the beaches crowding together and they have to like say, you can't be on the beach now. So people have a natural desire to be face-to-face with each other. I think that we're not going to lose that. But maybe in certain kinds of work, that might there might be more telecommuting that way. Uh, so in work is one of the areas. I think it will take people a while to feel trusting and comfortable um, and I'm not talking just about the political scene, but just more trusting and comfortable to know that people aren't spreading diseases and things. So it'll take a little while, but I think the, the, the natural human desire to be social, to be together, and to get back to normal, I think that's going to come back. It's going to take several years, but it, it will return. Um, so that's my, my, my sense of it, at least. Do you think you'll want to continue with some of the telemedicine and tele? Uh, teleworking that you're doing, teaching classes, because I often find that just having the availability and accessibility for folks of different platforms available, you know, in my case with patients coming in to be seen or doing things on video, they've all enjoyed it. They've been like, why haven't you done this earlier? And this is great. (laughs) They want it to continue. I'm wondering from your perspective, is that something you find that will continue in the workplace, particularly in your profession? Do you think they're going to, everybody's going to stick with that? Well, in my profession, I think there will be people who will 
just switch and just stay with on-screen therapy. Um, I probably would do a mix. Some people, although i got to tell you, of, of people who are new clients, they come in, I've only had one or two that refuse to see me online, and then I refer them to somebody else. But, but um, I think I would like to be in an office for part-time uh, and then the rest of the time on screen. So it's a matter of finding that balance because my commute is not really that bad. Well, and it's all about balance. We've talked about that regarding trying to find things that help refocus that you're comfortable with, dealing not just with pain issues, but also with stress, anxiety, depression, all of those ways that we can help ourselves to kind of look at some ways to get creative and find some unique solutions because we may have the answer more than we think we do if we just take the time to take a look and see what's going well. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today, Dr. Daniel Lev. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.